be this one. So Psalm 84 is where we're going to be today if you have a Bible or a mobile device that you want to look it up on. Uh, the Psalms, uh, as many of you know, uh, they are great devotional resources. Uh, there are many things. Most of all, they're the hymn book for God's people. Uh, they were the hymn book for the people of Israel. Uh, they still are. We still sing many songs based on hymns. And the amazing thing about the Psalms is that they don't just superficially treat about the life lived for God as one that is only happy, right? Not all, not all the Psalms are, God, I'm so in love with you. I'm so joyful. There are those Psalms. Uh, but the Psalms are also not afraid to deal with the darker themes of life, right? Uh, with doubt, with sadness, uh, with grief and fear. And the reason that is is because the people of God, us gathered today even, uh, we don't have to just put on a happy face and pretend that those darker things of life don't exist. Uh, in fact, God invites us, and I hope he'll invite you today through his spirit, to invite you to a deeper and a fuller joy and hope in the midst of your pain that you're bringing here this morning, in the midst of your aches, wherever life has you. This specific psalm that we're in, Psalm 84, uh, it says that it's a psalm of the sons of Korah who, who wrote uh, many of the psalms that we have in the, in the scriptures, uh, and it's a pilgrimage psalm. So families of Israelites, maybe coming down from Galilee or somewhere else in Israel, uh, this is one of those songs that was written to sing as they're approaching Jerusalem, as they're approaching the temple where they would go worship with everyone. Uh, and so keep that in mind uh, as I read it. So let me read it now, and then I'll pray for us. To the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, for she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Pray with me. Oh, Father, would you be with us here this morning by your Holy Spirit, Lord, in your word? Would you help us to meet Jesus today, Lord? Would you not let us leave here unchanged? We ask this in his precious name. Amen. In the World War II movie, uh, Saving Private Ryan, it's based on uh, the historical event of D-Day and following 1944 on, uh, Captain John Miller uh, played by Tom Hanks, leads this, this ragtag group uh, of soldiers 
uh, to go look for this, this, this soldier, Private Ryan, to bring him back to his family. And so, as the movie goes, we go with them through the war-ravaged countryside of France, from town to ruined town. Uh, and as the, they make the time go by, by trying to guess uh, who, who is this John Miller? Like I said, it's a ragtag group, uh, but they clearly respect their captain. And so they, they place bets on, you know, what, is, what does he do back home in America? Like, what kind of man is he? What, what keeps him going uh, through all of this uh, turmoil and, and violence in, in Europe? And the, the movie builds to this point of tension, uh, if you've seen it, where uh, they're trying, this company is trying to take this, this hill uh, from, a German, uh, from a German machine gun post, and uh, they, uh, they lose uh, many soldiers going up to this hill, and they're angry. Uh, that they've lost people to, to, for, the sake and, and, you know, for the sake of this one person, for the sake of this, uh, this private Ryan. Uh, and so in the middle of this tense scene, uh, they're ready to, to execute a German soldier on the spot out of their anger. Finally, Captain Miller speaks. He finally speaks, and he starts telling him his story. He says, I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm a school teacher. Uh, but over here, he feels far, far away from that. It may as well be another life. And he tells the soldiers he doesn't know who Ryan is. Uh, he doesn't care. This is what he says. He says, if that earns me the right to get back to my wife, then that's my mission. The weight, I think, of, the, of Captain Miller's homesickness not, not, his, not, his, uh, not his power, not his, uh, his authority, but, it, but his, his longing to be home. It's enough to shut the soldiers up. They, let, they don't execute the soldier and they keep going. This morning, uh, I want us to think about homesickness. As we sit here today, many of us have you know, situations that we can may, maybe legitimately say look very different from soldiers in 1944 in Europe. We have homes, many of us fairly stable homes, uh, but don't we still ache? Don't we still ache? Don't we still feel, even when we're at home, that we're not at home? We still feel homesick? Why does John Miller's deep down pull towards home call so powerfully to us? This is what Psalm 84 is about. It's putting words to that ache. It's putting words to that ache. As Israelites made their way, they left, they left their homes from wherever, wherever in the country of Israel, and they come and they make their way through the desolate and often frightening countryside to Mount Zion, to God's home, to God's temple. And they sing these words to express their ache for home. And though that ache that we feel, that ache that, that we're, not, we're not home, we're not where we are supposed to be. Uh, we're often very creative at finding ways to numb that ache. But here's what God's saying to us this morning. That ache is hardwired evidence within us that God himself is calling us home to him. Brothers and sisters, listen to that ache and keep that in mind as we look through this psalm, which in poetry and song, it, it actually gives us responses to that ache. And we're going to see three, three ways this text invites us to respond to that ache that God places within us. First of all, we must long for God. We must long for God. That's the first response that we see here in this text. 
Verse 1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely, that's maybe more exactly, how dear, how beloved. And it's the kind of thing that you would see in love poetry. This is, this is intensely emo, an intensely emotional appeal to God. Verse 2, the sons of Korah write, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. There's your soul... Your soul is your innermost being. It's not, uh, it's, it's, not just, uh, it's not just like what goes to heaven when you die, but it's, it's the very essence of who you are. This, the psalmist is saying, all of me, everything that is me, longs for God. He's hurting. He's lovesick for God. If you ever like, had like, you know, a crush in middle school, and you just remember you're just being painfully like, I like this person so much, and you probably don't even know them that well. You've seen them once or twice, but it just, it hurts. Imagine that times a thousand, just that, that ache, that, that longing for God. It says that my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. That sing for joy in the, in the original language, is, it's, it's not so much, it's, it is singing for joy, but it's almost more of a crying out. It's a painful, it's a painful joy. If you've, ever, if you've ever been so excited about something that it, that it hurts, that's what this is. The psalmist is literally experiencing it physically. He's experiencing it so much that uh, in verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. They're, they're literally jealous of the birds that get to be by the altar in God's temple. That's how much uh, they're longing to be at home. And that brings us to verse 4, to this first of three blessed statements. And you can think about this as each statement that says blessed, it leads us and it leads us on to each part of the psalm. This first one says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The house of God, of course, would be the temple of God. And that's what they're thinking about. They're, they're aching with longing. They're not there yet. But that ache now is, is driving them as they're singing, as they're going towards the temple. And we know what it is to ache with longing, don't we? We may not know, you know, what it's like to go to the temple and to worship God, but we feel that too. And God's inviting us not to numb the longing, to not avoid it. Actually, we too need to sing for joy. We need, to, we need to feel that pain for God in our very bodies so it points us to God. We must long more than we do now, not less. C.S. Lewis writes, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that nails it. This is what this is about. We need to have souls that they don't, they don't long less. Uh, we long more. We long more than we do now for God. We long and faint for the Lord, like verse 2 says. It's, an, it's, it's, it's longing for God in a, in a way that uh, it doesn't diminish the ache. It actually makes us ache more, but it's a good ache. So 
The first thing I think we need to see from this text is first response. What does it mean to long for God? Well, first of all, we need to listen to our aches, not numb them, not explain them away. Knowing God is more than just, you know, sort of a cognitive process of, okay, I understand that there is a God, and maybe, I, you know, I believe the Bible, and I assent to these certain theological propositions about Him, uh, and so that's, you know, I'm just going to live my life as morally as possible, right? I, a lot, we see that all the time in the church. I see that in myself. But friends, it's not enough. It's not enough to just know about God. It's not enough to just have some, you know, some sort of intellectual understanding of the Bible. God is calling to you in your longings. He's calling to you in your aches. G.K. Chesterton said it this way, every time a man knocks on the door of a prostitute, he is looking for God. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I have to think about that. You know, I'm tempted to think that, uh, that my longings are what gets me in trouble, right? And that's often been true in my life, for sure. But what this is showing us is this, it's, never, it's never the longings. It's never the things you care deeply about. That's never, the, that's never what's wrong with you. It's those, it's those aches that we turn to things away from God away from him, towards trying to please ourselves or trying to numb them. But when we ache towards God, when we long for God, we know that God is calling us home, and we have this direction, this energy to be with him. So what about you? What are your aches? What do you bring here this morning? Some of you are aching for intimacy. You're aching for intimacy in relationships with spouse uh, or with friends or with family. And you're tempted to feel that intimacy in sinful and unhealthy ways. That temptation terrifies us. But friends, the longing for intimacy, that deep longing for intimacy, it's not, that's not the problem. That longing, is, it's showing you that even the best of marriages, it can never satisfy your soul, your soul's craving, your soul's desire for God. It points us, it, it points us to longing for God. Some of you are aching for the world uh, to, be a, to be a good place, and it, it angers you, it embitters you to see, uh, to see our culture, to see violence around the world, and, and, it, and it should. And be careful, though. Even that longing can be twisted. A good longing for, for righteousness and peace, for, you know, for a moral culture, that can be twisted uh, easily by the devil into a cold and an arrogant self-righteousness where you, know, you have the moral high ground uh, and others are, are sort of beyond hope of forgiveness. And then pretty soon, that longing that was good is actually numbed your ability to hear God's call in your soul, which is calling you towards that world where violence and pain will be no more. God's inviting you to repent of the ways you've been self-righteous and instead let your longings for righteousness make you pant and ache like the psalmist for God. Personally, I, I ache with, you know, anxiety. I, I want control over my, my circumstances. And that, and that ache, I think, for safety and security, even that, that God has used in my life to point me towards God, the only one who can actually control my, control my life and can make things right. So what are you aching for? How can that aching become a longing? How can you see in that ache that you have a desire, a deep desire to be home with God where he is. 
That's the first response God's calling us to. The second response is perseverance. We must persevere towards God. Look at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. So notice there's, there's a shift in tone as we move into this next section. If the first section was this, you know, I'm not at home, I'm longing to be at home, it's very, it's visceral, it's emotional, now the tone changes to bracing and determined. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now the, the psalmist is determined to get to God. Verse 5, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. What does that mean? Well, the literal highway, of course, would have been the well-traveled paths through the wilderness, through the desert to get to Zion. But here, the psalmist says that uh, these highways are actually, uh, they're actually in the heart. They're in, they're in the hearts of the worshipers. It's as if uh, he's saying that blessed are those who, they, they know where God is so much. They don't need a compass. They don't need directions. It's, it's built within them. Think about uh, when you see birds migrating uh, during the, the winter from a cooler place to a warmer place. They're able, even on a cloudy day, they, they are able to fly, you know, true south because uh, it's hardwired within them. They are, they're able to do that. That is what the psalmist is talking about, that, uh, that when you are longing for God and God's call is on you, then you actually are, are able to persevere in God and you know where he is with, with, without uh, with, 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 it's hardwired within you. That's what he's saying. So that even the Valley of Baca, verse 6, as they go through the Valley of Baca, which could literally be translated Valley of Weeping. Just think about it being uh, a dried and arid place. The Baca tree is something that grows in, in a dry and arid place in that part of the world. So the idea that the pilgrim is traveling to this desolate, dry country with nothing to drink, but because he's got the highways, because the highways are in his heart, because he knows God is calling him. He knows that he's longing for God. It says that, verse 6, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Isn't that amazing? It's not just that they're able to persevere in a dry place, but because they're following God, they actually they, they bring goodness with them. They actually make the desert a place of springs. And isn't that what Christians should be? Think about what this church is in Owasso. If, if not, it's not less than you gathering week after week, persevering in the tensions and the trials of your life to come to the living water that is Jesus and to make the community around you a place of springs. That, that's what Christians are meant to do, to be salt and light, to bless those around you. And it's remarkable. It's remarkable. God's people carry joy with them, so even circumstances can't prevent joy and blessing from flowing out. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Rather than growing weary, they get stronger as they go, as they get closer. Church Father Gregory of Nazianzus says, it's, it's like when you walk outside and your eyes slowly adjust to the stronger light outside. Right, you know, when you come out of a dark room, and you, at first it's blinding, but then slowly as you become acclimated, you can see. That's what it's like to get closer to God, friends. As you gather here week after week and you worship, as you pray, as you labor, as you, as you cry, as you weep over the hardships in your life, the sin that you can't seem to overcome, 
It's as if your eyes are adjusting. You become stronger as you go, not weaker. That call that you feel in your soul only becomes stronger, and you persevere towards God. And of course, you can't do it without God. That's this, that's this cry in verse 8. He's persevering, but, O oh Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O oh God of Jacob. I know I can't do it without you. you. You never can. We know that. We never can. Verse 9 is, is somewhat of a bridge verse that we'll come back to. But it says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. The anointed would be, uh, would be the king. It would be the chosen Messiah, the ruler of God. And we'll come back to that. We can't do it on our own, but that doesn't mean we aren't hardwired to be with God, and we can know that we can persevere in that call and be with God. In the movie uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, five lucky children get their golden tickets to go visit this, this secretive chocolate factory, which there's all sorts of rumors about how amazing this place is, uh, and, they're, and, they're, and they're so, the, the children who are, who are selected to go, you know, are thrilled. And Charlie is one of the five children. He has never seen something as amazing as a chocolate factory in his whole life. And so they go and they're aching to taste the sweet goodness of this factory, right? And uh, as the movie goes, we know that uh, they're not supposed to eat anything in the chocolate factory. It's a tour, right? Uh, but of course, they give in to their temptations because they're children, and probably we would too if we were in that situation. But we know we lost one to a chocolate river uh, who's drinking chocolate out of the river. Another girl eats a piece of gum and turns into a, a giant blueberry. And so one by one, we lose, we lose these children. And even Charlie, who seems so good, surely Charlie's going to make it. But then he slips a little jawbreaker in his pocket. And he's asked to leave too. Willy Wonka is furious that he brought these children into this amazing place. And they wouldn't even listen to his, his one desire that they wouldn't eat. And then this scene near the end where Charlie, overwhelmed with, uh, he, he's so sad that he let the owner of this factory down, that he let Willy Wonka down. We see that he actually becomes so, uh, so overwhelmed with feeling bad that he cares more about pleasing Willy Wonka than he does himself. And he goes and he brings the jawbreaker back, he puts it in his office, and he starts to leave. And Wonka just starts laughing, and he goes and gives him a hug. And he says, Charlie, you're going to be the owner of this factory. And you're like, what? If, if the children had just waited, they just waited... He would have given them so much more than they'd even asked for. They would give them way more than a jawbreaker. We would give them the whole factory, and that's what Charlie gets. And isn't that the way God is too? Isn't that the way God is too? Y'all, we are just like those children. We are just like them. We take every opportunity. When the slightest bit of discomfort comes into our lives, don't we do anything we can to get away from it? Any, anything. Pull out my phone, and I just, you know, I feel anxious, so I need to scroll on something. Um, I need to control something. You know, I need to plan, I need to escape, I need to drink, I need to work. I mean, you name it. The slightest bit is discomfort. God, friends, God, when you feel that longing in your soul, when you, when you know the call of him, you'll persevere towards anything because you know God will give you the whole chocolate factory. God is a good God. He will give you everything. The pain, the discomfort we go through now is nothing compared to what's in store, to 
to what's ahead of us. It's nothing in comparison to what's ahead of us, friends. And so that brings us to this final section. This final section where we move from a wistful longing for God, right, to a determined persevering toward Him, and then to this final response to finally and fully rejoicing in God. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalmist is saying, they're saying we can persevere through anything if it gets us to God's house. I'll be a doorkeeper. I would do, I would trade everything, status, money, being noticed, you know, being, being at the, at the, in the, in the star spot of the assembly. They'll say, I'll be, I'd rather be a doorkeeper and trade all that to be in God's house. How can we experience this kind of intense desire for God, you know? Because that can be overwhelming. I mean, who, who feels that way about God all the time? Even the most faithful of us, even when on our good days, you know, when do we feel this kind of intense desire for God? Look at verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing to see withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Friends, God, in his call, he knows, he knows we can't get there to him ourselves. He knows that. That's why we go back to verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. God, I can't do this on my own. I'm crying out to you. I need an anointed. I need a Messiah to save me, to represent me. I need someone to bring me to you. And that's the most amazing thing. And we know, we know more than the singers of this psalm even did, who the true anointed was, the Messiah who, if anyone, w- if anyone had a right to be homesick, if anyone had a right to be homesick, it was Jesus Christ, who's at home with his father from all eternity past, but gave up that to come to poor lost sheep like you and me, come to earth to take on the body of a servant, to come down, to to experience the aches and the longings, all the same longings that we feel on earth, to feel those aches, and to persevere and to give himself for us so that we could be with him in heaven. We could rejoice with the Savior. Friends, this is why we know we can rejoice with God. God calls us home but he doesn't wait till we come to him. He came to us first, friends. He comes and he, he comes to get us. Jesus came to earth to bring you and me home, to call us home, to be with him. He left home to bring us home. At the end of Saving Private Ryan, Private Ryan, who they found, is now an old man. He's standing at the grave of Captain John Miller. He has tears in his eyes. He's there with his family who's standing behind him, uh, and he salutes the grave, and the, and the, movie, the movie ends. You can only imagine what's going through his head, uh, but you know that he has in mind the sacrifice. John Miller gave his life to bring Ryan home. He gave his life so that he could have a family, he could have everything. Friends, we have a God who left home who actually gave his life for you, died to give you everything. So won't, won't you long for him? Won't you persevere towards him? And won't you rejoice in him now and know that 
finally and fully one day we'll be with him where he is. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for your patience, Lord. Thank you for your love for us, God. God, we thank you that you've made us to long for you, Lord. Oh, God, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord, not to, not to numb ourselves, not to distract ourselves, Lord? Uh, God, I, but week by week, Lord, would you instill that longing deeper within us, Lord? Would you call us by your Spirit, Lord? Would you make us more and more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ? We ask this in his name. Amen.